Welcome to the ministry of Smyrna Presbyterian Church. Founded in 1914, Smyrna Presbyterian Church believes in the Bible as the Word of God and so desires to preach, teach, pray, and sing that Word so as to know Christ and make Him known in our community, country, and world. We invite you to join us in that mission. Worship services are every Sunday at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. Here now is our pastor, the Reverend Joel Smith. Verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deed, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways, inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last time for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Amen. Please be seated. Every child has aspirations of what they are going to be when they grow up, and no doubt you do this with your own children. Ask them, what is it that you're going to do when you grow up? And usually the most common are policemen or fireman or doctor or nurse or vet or if they're really ambitious president of the United States. As a child I can distinctly remember telling my parents that when I grew up I was going to be a PE teacher. And there were several reasons for this. Number one because my favorite class in elementary school was gym class where you got to run around and to play games and I thought, what greater job that you could have as a living than to play games all day? Or so I thought as a second or third grader. Plus, you get your summers off and you get to be done with work at 3 p.m. I thought this would be excellent. So I was pretty sure of what I was going to be, but I was most certain of what I was not going to be. And that was a pastor. (laughs) Why? Because that's what my dad was. And not because I had a terrible childhood by any means, because I didn't. It was great and very blessed. I'm thankful for it to this very day. But as a kid, perhaps it's part pride, perhaps it's part rebellion. You think you're going to do something different than what your dad does. You're going to do your own thing. You're going to blaze your own trail, so to speak. Plus, looking at my dad, I thought, and seeing what he did hard work, it's long hours, it's low pay. Why would I want to do that? Well, God has his own way of directing and shaping us, doesn't he? And lo and behold, what am I this day? A pastor, the very thing that I was certain that I was not going to be. Doing the same thing that my father did and still does. And in that way, I resemble my father, And I'm thankful for it. 
Peter in our passage this day says that there needs to be another resemblance that we as Christians must have, have. And that we must resemble our heavenly Father, specifically in holiness. And our resemblance is to be in that way, not only in our thinking as we looked at last week, but also in the way that we live. And the reason is because we are to be children of God that are bought and that are redeemed and have been redeemed with a price. And so as we look at this passage this morning, I want to see three points. The holiness of God, redeemed for a purpose, and third, to be holy. As we have seen, Peter has been laying out the beautiful realities of this grace that is manifested, this salvation that is ours. And he has begun to lay out the implications of what this means for us as a believer. And he has moved into this therefore, as we see that at the beginning of verse 13. And that therefore, as I mentioned last week, is very important. It is a divine conjunction, if you would. If you are an English nerd, the imperatives of the gospel must rest on the indicatives. That all application, all implications must be rooted and grounded in what Christ has done. That is so important. Because we as Christians often fall into two different camps. You have your thinkers and you have your doers. The doers, as you can imagine, don't want to be bothered with doctrine. They want to be just told what to do. If you are one of those people, then you love when there is application, when there is lists of things. If I tell you these are 12 ways that you can put this truth into action. You sit up and you get your pencil ready and you're ready to number each and every one of those because you want to be told what to do. How does this truth apply specifically to your life? You are the doers. But then we also have the thinkers. And they aren't so concerned on being told what to do, but they love theology. They love doctrine. Who we are in Christ. They love to think and contemplate the deeper things of God and of his truth. And so, two camps. And obviously I'm painting with a broad stroke. Who we are and what we do. But the truth is, we're not one or the other. We are both and. And the Bible clearly demonstrates both. There needs to be the aspect of being who we are in Christ, those uh, indicatives, as I told you, as well as what we are to do, those imperatives, those things that we are commanded. And we see both in this passage, and we see both in Scripture. So as I said, it's not one or the other, it is both and. And as we see in this passage, We are to be holy. Why is that? Because God is holy. You see that in verse 14. He who called you is holy. 
you also be holy in all of your conduct. Notice, he who called you is holy. The holiness of God can summarize, in a sense, who God is. The holiness of God is one of God's chief attributes. Louis Burkhoff says this in his systematic theology. It does not seem proper to speak of one attribute of God as being more central and fundamental than the other. But if this were permissible, the scriptural emphasis on the holiness of God would seem to justify its selection. It is quite evident that holiness in this sense of the world word is something that is coextensive with and applicable to everything that can be predicated of God. He is holy in everything that reveals him. In other words, what he is saying is that every aspect of God, every other attribute is founded upon his holiness. So you talk about his wisdom, his sovereignty, his justice, his goodness, his love. They are all holy. They are all characterized by his holiness. It is a holy wisdom. It is a holy goodness. It is a holy love. And this is what we see in the scriptures, is it not? Every vision of God is one that is described by holiness, a setting apart, a distinction, that God is a category unto himself, that he is high and lifted up. As Isaiah saw that vision of the Lord, we see the angels that surround the Lord speak of his holiness. They don't just speak of it one time, but three times. It's the only attribute to be repeated three times. And as you know, as you are biblical scholars yourself, for the Bible to repeat something three times is to raise it to the highest degree, to raise it to the highest superlative. R.C. Sproul in his book, The Holiness of God, which is a must-read for any Christian. If you have not read it, please, please do yourself a favor and do your soul a favor by getting a copy and reading it. R.C. Sproul and the holiness of God says, the Bible says that God is holy, holy, holy. Not that he is merely holy or even holy, holy. He is holy, holy, holy. The Bible never says he is love, 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 or wrath, 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 or justice, justice, justice. It does say that he is holy, holy, holy. The whole earth is full of his glory. In other words, what Sproul is saying there is you cannot think of God apart from his holiness. And that attribute, that characteristic must dictate how we interact with God. Oftentimes there is seemingly a systematic approach in modern Christianity to remove that sense of holiness. I think it's because it is uncomfortable to us. And oftentimes we as a church want to be welcoming and friendly as possible, which is a wonderful thing. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be welcoming or friendly. But at the same time, we cannot remove that which is the essence of who God is. And we need to approach God in his holiness. That we don't just come to just kind of hang out with God for an hour. 
No one who ever met God in the scriptures or even one of his holy angels could ever be described or characterized as hanging out. They were usually on their face before the presence of this God. There's Isaiah that cries out, I'm a sinner and I am undone. I dwell amongst a people that are sinful. Peter, when he saw the glory of Christ, falls to his face and says, Depart from me, Lord, for I am not worthy. I am a sinful man. They understood that there is a clear distinction, a clear difference between themselves and God. And so as we come to worship, as we see God, we must see him as this holy other. And there must be that sense of reverence, being reminded of who we come unto, and that there is a right fear of God, that he is holy, that we are not, that he is the creator, we are his creature, that he is infinite, and that we are finite, he is eternal, we are but of dust. And therefore, there is a right sense of fear whenever we approach God. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, the scripture says. And so we come accountable to him. We come to him as a judge. And Peter even talks about that aspect of God being a judge in verse 17 here. And so we must always be reminded of his holiness. God is holy. And so in his holiness, second then, we are redeemed with a purpose. Psalm 24 asks this question, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? That is a good question. If God is so holy, how can we who are not interact with such a God? And yet this is the amazing reality of our God. This God who is holy also comes and condescends to do a work amongst us. That doesn't diminish his transcendence, that he is holy and lifted up. But we also must proclaim that he is imminent, that he is near, that he does a work even in our midst, even at this very moment. There is no other deity in any other religion that can be said to do this. In a sense, deals with mankind on his level. For every other religion, man must, in a sense, live really well and he must ascend to God. But that God never descends to man. Except for the true and living God. Except for our God. And God has come not just partially of the way down and says, you meet me halfway. He has come all the way down. He has come to this earth. He took on flesh. He is bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh. And he made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only God. And as he comes... Does he sit on a throne high and lifted up? No, he comes as a servant and humbles himself even unto death. Death for who? Well, death for you and for me. That is our God. 
And he continues to dwell amongst us. He continues to do a work amongst us, even now, even in this very place. His spirit is at work in our hearts and in our lives. His spirit is at work with the preaching of this word and through the teaching, because it's through this preaching and teaching, coupled with the spirit, that we are given a new birth. That is what Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Is it not that we must be born again? We must be born of the Spirit. And as a result, because God in the form of the Lord Jesus Christ has come down and has done his work. And because the Lord Jesus Christ, when he ascended, sent his Spirit. He has redeemed us. And he has redeemed us with a purpose. And that purpose, as we said is to be holy, as we will see. And the reason why we are to be holy is because He has separated us. That He has redeemed us into a family with a new purpose. And that's what Peter emphasizes in this scripture, is it not? That we are to be as obedient children. It says that there in verse 14. That we are adopted into the family of God. Now, I know several of you have been adopted or you have adopted children yourselves. And adoption is a beautiful thing. Adoption is a beautiful demonstration of the gospel. Because it takes children without a family and brings them into a family. It takes children without much hope of a future and gives them hope and a future. It takes children that are without a name in a sense. And gives them a name. And as great as that is. As great as earthly adoptions are. And they are great. And we as a church and we as Christians should be all about adoption. That adoption pales in comparison to the adoption that we have in Jesus Christ. 1 John 3.1. John says this. Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. Of God. Notice what John is saying there. He's, he's almost ecstatic. He cannot contain himself. He says, How great is the Father's love that He has given. He has given us what? He has given us His Son, His only begotten Son, that we should become sons, that we should become children of God. And this is exactly what Peter says here in this scripture as well. In in not only saying that we are to be obedient children, we are made children of God because of Christ. And he goes on to say that in verse 17, that we are not ransomed, we are not redeemed, we are not purchased or adopted with gold or with silver. No, he says we are adopted and we are redeemed with something much more precious than that. We are redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. The perfect Lamb of God. And there again he's giving an illusion of the exodus. Think about how precious that blood must have been that went on that doorpost. As they they put that blood on that doorpost, they recognize that this is the way to our freedom. This is the way that we are being set free. This is the way that we are being delivered from captivity. And as great as that blood was, how much greater is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because that blood of that lamb on that doorpost was only a temporary salvation. It was only an earthly salvation. 
But now we are given an eternal salvation. That we are saved from the penalty and from the, uh, the, 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 the price of our sin. Of death and the devil itself. We are given a new inheritance in the Lord Jesus Christ. Indeed, that blood is precious. As the hymn writer says, oh, precious is the flow that makes us as white as snow. And that is the cost it took to bring us into the family of God. And that's how we must identify ourselves. You know, you identify yourself with many different things, many different titles. Mothers, fathers, grandmothers, grandfathers, we give ourselves our titles and our vocation and what we do in our services and how we do things in our community and perhaps you're given these different things that we can add on a bio, but there is no greater bio than this. There's no greater title than this, that we are children of God. As John says, listen to that, that we, that we should be called children of God. Adopted, redeemed, saved children of God. The children of the King of Kings. And as adopted children take the name of that family in which they are adopted, so too we take the name of God upon ourselves. We take that new identity upon ourselves. And therefore, because that is true, we are to live our lives with that new identity. And so what does that new identity look like? It looks like holiness. And that's what he says here. And that is our third point. He says that we are to be holy. He says we're no longer to be conformed to the ways of this world, to our passions of former ignorance. No, that is not us anymore. We are not those people anymore. But he goes on to say, because you are children, because you are to be obedient children, you are to be holy. And there he quotes Leviticus, be holy for I am holy. And notice again, just a quick aside. Here Peter goes saying to us, this is what the Bible says. This is what the Old Testament says. This is what the law says. It is right for us to go back to the scriptures because Christ Jesus has written every word of the scriptures. So don't tell me that you can't say only what Jesus says is that which is what is good for us as Christians this day. No, Jesus wrote every word of the Bible. He wrote every word of the Old Testament just as much as the New Testament. And we're to take all of it because he is the word of God. And that's why the apostles are always pointing back to the scriptures, just as Peter does here. And he quotes Leviticus. I don't know if you're making your way through the Bible this year, but you might think there is nothing applicable to us in Leviticus. Peter says there is. And he says this, be holy, even as I am holy. Now surely we can never be as Holy is the infinite God. But what are you saying? That we're to be categorically holy. What does holy mean at its very root? That we're to be set apart. That we're to be sacred. To be consecrated unto God. The very thing that we saw at the baptismal font this morning, is it not? That is, this child was, was baptized. He was marked out. 
The name of the triune God was placed upon him. And as a result, there's a difference. There is a distinction. There's to be a distinction between us and the rest of the world. You might ask, in what? Well, I would say in everything. In the way that we think, the way that we live, the way that we act, the way that we speak, the way that we work, the way that we worship. In other words, we are to resemble our Heavenly Father. Have you ever met a a young person and think, you know, without even knowing them, you go, that must be so-and-so's son or daughter. There's just no denying it. They look like them, they talk like them, they act like them. I had that several times this week at General Assembly and brought my family down and there was someone that saw one of my sons and said, well, there's a blonde Joel if I've ever seen one. Now, I don't necessarily see it, and my son, my 10-year-old son, adamantly denies that we look anything alike, which I don't blame him. But what Peter is saying here is that your life should be known, and people should know something of your Heavenly Father through what they see in your life. They should know of His character. They should know of his attributes, his desire, his deeds. And so let me ask you this morning, what is it that your life is proclaiming? Is there that fatherly resemblance in you? Are you a child of God? If so, then it will be marked by holiness, that there will be a difference, that there will be a distinction That we are to give of ourselves. Not just part of ourselves. We're to give all of ourselves. Paul in Romans chapter 12. He gives 11 chapters of doctrine. And then chapter 12 is the first application. And you know what he says? Therefore. Therefore, because of all that I said. I appeal to you by the mercies of God. To present your bodies. As a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable. For this is your spiritual worship. He's saying because of what Christ has done, we present the whole of ourselves to God. Mind, body, and soul. We give ourselves over to Him. We present ourselves to Him holy and separated and set apart to be acceptable. And Paul says that is worship. Yes, what you do in here is worship, but what you do on your life on a daily basis, the way that you live, that's the kind of worship that God is looking for in everything. And to live like that, we need to be, in a sense, nonconformist, not in a weird external sense, don't get me wrong, but in a heart holiness that changes our behavior. Again, Romans 12, Paul says we're to give ourselves holy and acceptable to God and then goes on to say, do not conform to this world, just as Peter says here. And that's hard, isn't it? Oftentimes we want to conform to this world because that is what is easy. And I think holiness has fallen on hard times in the church because we want to fit in. We want to be accepted. We want to be just like everybody else. We oftentimes make fun of the Israelites when they ask for the king. 
And Samuel says, why do you want a king? They say, well, because we want to be like the nations. And we go, why would you want to be like the nations? You have God as your king. How better than that can you get? But let me say the same thing to us. We have God as our king. Why would we want to be like the nations? And yet, so often the church looks so similar to the culture, doesn't it? That there is no distinction. There is no standing out. There is no holiness. Justin Martyr, one of the early church fathers, writing to the pagan Roman emperor, said that the truth claims of Christianity are proven true through the lives of Christians and their purity. That's what the early church fathers could say. You could say, look at the church. They live a, a pure and holy life. And therefore, it proves that these truth claims are really true. Unfortunately, we as a church, not we as a church as in this church, but we as the church, capital C, can't make that same claim today. When weekly we hear the fall of another pastor, or that sexual perversion is just as rampant in the church as without. And as a result, we have lost our voice because we've lost our witness because the world looks at us and says that there's nothing different between you and us. Why would I want that? Why would I go through that? Why would I want your God? My gods are just as good. Well, they never say that overtly, but that is, in a sense, what they are saying with their lives. Again, R.C. Sproul says this, the hardest thing in the Christian life is to remember who we are and who we belong to and what it means to say that Jesus is Lord. If he's our Lord and Master, then we are to obey him rather than the impulses of the flesh or the pattern of the pagan world around us. Be holy, for I am holy. We have been bought, we have been redeemed. And as I close this morning... Children, oftentimes obeying your parents is difficult, is it not? And I'll say this to you, a little secret. It's difficult for us as well. But the greatest way that we can honor our parents, the greatest way that you as children can honor your parents is to live honorably, live obediently, live in a way that is pleasing to your parents and to the Lord. And this Father's Day, you know what it is that Every father wants, every father that loves the Lord, it's not another tie. It's this. It's what John says in 3 John when he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in truth. And that goes for all of us as children of God. On this Father's Day, as we come to this passage, what is it that the God, the Father, wants from us? Well, it's the same thing that we want from our own children. That we walk in truth. That we be not conformed, but be transformed. That we would give our lives as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to Him. As I said at the beginning, children reflect their parents. As God is wholly different, so too must be his children. We are wholly saved. Holy meaning mind, body, and soul, the whole of us, to live a holy life, pleasing 
and honorable to God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this holiness. Lord, we know that you are the true holy God. And when we compare our holiness to yours, Lord, it doesn't even begin to compare. But Lord, we thank you through the Lord Jesus Christ that you have set us apart, that you have made us distinct. And so, Lord, we pray and ask that the Spirit would live in us such a way that the, those that would look at our lives would not see us, but see Christ in us. And that we would give him the glory, that we would give him the praise, and Lord, that we would be pleasing and acceptable to you because of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.